1: Well, hello there, my fellow wrong thinker. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Brian Hyde Show. Want to give a quick shout out to my sponsors, Alta Bank Mortgage, also Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. I appreciate uh, those sponsors stepping up and making it possible for me to focus like a laser on doing this program, and that means bringing you relevant content that uh, not only informs, but hopefully inspires at some level, or at least encourages, because man, heaven knows we've had a lot of reasons to be discouraged this year. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that's just been weighing on us. That uh, it, is, it feels like we've just been down and being kicked over and over and over. And uh, and I want to see things squarely. You know, I want to face the world as it is. But at the same time, I think there are some marvelous things going on around us. And, and I think that uh, our finest hours are still ahead of us, even if times are tough or even if things are very trying. This is where we learn what we're made of if that sounds a bit too optimistic i'm sorry but stiff upper lip pip pip and all that you know i think i think we have uh, i think we all have a destiny that we are given the opportunity to fulfill i don't think it's forced on us i don't think it's you know preordained that uh, it's going to be this way and there's nothing you can do about it but i think all of us are given the opportunity to to become something that is greater than we thought we could become and it's not because we're building a monument to ourselves so much as we're becoming something that uh, that brightens the world around us. That's really what we need right now. There's so much anger. There's so much darkness, and just people chomping at the bit in fear and anger, wanting to lash out like a wounded animal. You don't have to be that way. And hopefully, with the the things I share on this program, the articles, the insights, you're getting an idea that it's not as bad as some would have us believe. But I'm not going to tell you it's all sunshine and roses either. i uh, got to admit, one of the more interesting things I saw last week, and I'm, I'm only going to touch on this briefly, since uh, vaccines are now in the news, and oh, well, it's looking like, you know, the vaccine distribution has become, uh, you know, a, a, a political football. Wow, who could have seen that? Who could have seen that, uh, you know, the the vaccine itself, now they're talking about, uh, oh, I'm hearing various media sources talk about how, you know, this is going to be determined by skin color as to who gets the vaccine and who doesn't. I don't know if that's true or not. It just, it sounds to me like more clickbait, but I will tell you something I saw with my own eyes that was, uh, how can I put this? Awkward, to put it mildly, and that was the the nurse and the other personnel in Tennessee getting the, the vaccine shot, and then the nurse getting up there and talking about 13 minutes into the news conference, she passes out, faints right there on camera. And I know people are kind of like, uh, <laughs> okay, is that a fluke? Is that, look, I'm, I'm very pocophobic. phobic. I do not like needles. And in fact, I have, uh, at various times when, when somebody has given me a shot, you know, uh, whether it's drawing blood or, you know, once I got a cortisone shot in my shoulder. Um, yeah, I come really close to passing out, but that's like right in the moment. This was like, well, afterwards. And anyway. If you're looking to inspire confidence in people, hey, this vaccine is great and it's going to protect us all. Oh, that's the other thing, the the uh, just to fan those flames of fear for us. Um, the vaccine may be out, but of course, we're still told now that doesn't mean that we don't have to wear masks. We don't have to socially distance. And there's also this added uh, little level of difficulty that over the weekend, I think in the U.K., scientists are now saying the COVID-19 virus has mutated. In fact, they're saying it has mutated faster and in ways that they've never predicted before. I think they were saying 20-plus different mutations have taken place. And again, I don't know if that's true or if that you know means the vaccine is ineffective or, or what it means. And it sure feels like somebody's just trying to stoke that fear, though. And that's, that's the part where I'm like, ah, come on. Give us a little bit of a break. It's, in fact, I want to start with, with an article. I'm just going to touch on this one briefly. Um, it's called, Yes, Follow the Science in Every Field. This is from Richard M. Salzman. I found this on the American Institute for Economic Research's website. He talks about how we have heard all through the year the admonition from the acolytes of, of COVID-19 lockdowns, follow the science. And many of these admonishers presume that lockdown skeptics are myopic, anti-science miscreants infected with a reckless disregard for human health, safety, and life. Yes, he says, some people are so emotional, phobic, religious, or political, they cannot reason right. But can there be no rational, healthy skepticism about the health effects of COVID-19 or the health and wealth effects of lockdowns? He says, nothing could be further from the truth and nothing farther from the science So his point is, yeah, we need to follow the science, but we need to do it in every field, not just in epidemiology, but also in politics, in economics, in philosophy. Now, this last-mentioned field, which means love of wisdom, teaches mankind to follow his nature, to be rational, logical, objective, and contextual. To be scientific in every field means to incorporate both theory and practice, to assess all real and relevant factors, not just a select few of them, it means cultivating a perspective that is likewise impartial, meaning not biased, comprehensive, meaning not narrow, and proportional, meaning not imbalanced. Now, throughout his article, I mean, he appeals to uh, some of the, the points that Henry Hazlitt made in Economics in One Lesson, which, by the way, if that book isn't on your bookshelf, you're missing a terrific opportunity to expand how you see the world or to, better, to create a better filter through which to see the world. It's not that Henry Hazlitt, you know, had all the answers there in his book. And once you memorize them, by gosh, you've got it. But he does explain very clearly some of the better uh, techniques and some of the better principles of how to approach policy, how to approach decisions, looking not just at the immediate and desired effect, but at the potential long-term unintended effects that may follow. That's the difference between a good policymaker and a bad one, a good economist and a bad one. The good economist looks beyond what immediately strikes the eye. The bad economist only sees direct consequences of a proposed course. The good economist looks at the economist looks at the longer indirect consequences. The bad economist sees only the effect of what a given policy has what the effect of a given policy has been or will be on one particular group, while the good economist inquires also what the effect of the policy will be on all groups. And in this regard, Richard Salzman says, yeah, well, he goes, I'd, I'd say competent epidemiologists, political scientists, economists, and philosophers need to look beyond what strikes their eye or their predilections. They have to consider immediate and longer-term effects and effects on all types of people, groups, and livelihoods, not just those that the bureaucrats favor as essential He says the purpose of following science in every field is best captured in the immortal words of Ben Franklin to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But he says to be frank, not everyone shares these goals or wants this kind of world, for it's a world that only science, reason, liberty, and capitalism can deliver. As Alfred Pennington once observed, some men just want to watch the world burn. And today's most vocal admonishers condone political bureaucratic micromanaging and controls and they seem to love shaming innocent people into obeying l- draconian, life stifling edicts. If millions must sacrifice and suffer, so what? Most religions, secular and otherwise, say this signifies virtue. COVID 19 bullies, he says, use science language to shield themselves from criticism and cloak their nefarious designs. They seem to sense that most Americans still respect science, not despotism. Again, you should check out this article, it is uh, available. On my website, at the show notes for December 21st, go to the com. Again, this is from Richard M. Salzman. Here's his final paragraph. This is the one that I just wanted to drive home here. If science had been followed in 2020 in all fields, we'd be much healthier and wealthier than we are now. But he says, Control freaks have used COVID-19 to justify still more government controls, still more statism. In every field, they've cited chaos As an alleged reason to reimagine, in other words, sabotage capitalism, a system they already hated pre-virus to promote despotism, a system they preferred already. And he says, for such people, crises are to be welcomed, if necessary, even concocted. I don't disagree with that one bit. You can check out the whole article, and I really hope you do. It's a fairly lengthy one, so, you know, set aside your lunch hour, set aside some time to read and and digest it. But uh, Richard M. Salzman has some really great things to say about uh, how science and following the science isn't a bad idea, but it needs to be done in every field, not just in one narrow field that somehow magically benefits power seekers and opportunists.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back.
1: Now, those who have listened to me for any length of time will know that... uh, I'm kind of big on institutions, not that I'm a huge supporter of institutions and, you know, everything must be institutionalized, but I like to keep things in perspective. And when it comes to the way we see our society, unfortunately, a lot of people have put on blinders to where we only really see one institution that matters, that being government. But as I pointed out before, there are are other institutions, I can think of at least seven, government being one of them, which shape a healthy society. Community is another, media, academia, business, even churches. Yeah, those are all societal institutions. Oh, family, family is another one. So when those institutions are working in concert with with one another, when they're not when one isn't overpowering all of the others. You actually have a pretty healthy society, meaning you can solve problems at any number of different levels. There are some things which government, rightly, can better solve than family. There are things that family can solve better than church. There are things that business can solve, or academia, or media. You get the picture. Unfortunately, we live in a very imbalanced society at this time. And one of the best, uh, or one of the biggest indicators of this is uh, that uh, those institutions are not only out of balance, but some are being co-opted and used. In fact, th- this is probably the thing where I've I've really noticed some of the most alarming stuff is the woke. The woke have taken over in government. Media is woke. Academia, well, academia is actually where the woke really got their first big toehold. Business, very woke. How many uh, diversity and sensitivity seminars have you had to sit through? as the course of, you know, of, as, as a condition of employment. Even churches have been co-opted by the woke. So that doesn't leave much. It leaves community, which, you know, if, if your community is, is you know, showing itself to be inclusive, St. George, Utah, I'm looking your direction, getting rid of, you know, anything that, that somebody out there might somehow consider offensive. A crazy thing to think, since there are people who actually thrive on contrived offense so as to better have power over other people. Yeah, yeah, even community can be co-opted. But now family is the next institution that's being targeted for a takeover by the woke. Saw this article on lewrockwell.com earlier today. It's by Michael McCaffrey. The woke left are demonizing parents and want to abolish the family. Now, he does say that's the intellectual equivalent of a toddler's tantrum. So let's jump right in here. Did I did I need to post any kind of a warning that somebody's feels might uh, might get a little bit triggered here? Okay. Well, I'm I'm posting that warning now. Beware. This is some pretty straight up truth and it might trigger some people. He says children raised in a nuclear family are safer, healthier, happier, and more successful. So of course the radicals want to abolish it and raise kids in communes because parents are tyrants. 2020, he says, has been a year of pandemics. The most prominent of these is coronavirus, which has killed over a million people worldwide and wreaked havoc on the global economy. But McCaffrey says it isn't the only problematic outbreak to ravage the globe in 2020. The pandemic of woke idiocy continues to rage unabated. One particularly imbecilic strain of this vicious virus is the agenda that espouses eliminating the nuclear family. Now, he says, as a parent and a leftist, I find this assault on parents and nuclear families to be the height of self-serving, self-defeating intellectual masturbation. A perfect example of this mindless mania is a recent recent tweet from Noah Berlatsky, a piss-ant provocateur and philosophical poser who writes for The Guardian and The Atlantic magazine. Berlatsky whined, parents are tyrants. Parent is an oppressive class like rich people or white people. Well... <laughs> Here we go. He then followed that belch into the woke echo chamber with this equally odious one. There are things you can try to do to minimize the abuse that's endemic to the parent-child relationship. But it's always there. McCaffrey says apparently someone didn't change baby Berlatsky's dirty diaper fast enough. Now we all have to deal with the stink. Sadly, he says Berlatsky's buffoonery is not an outlier. As this anti-family mindset is rampant among the woke left. Examples of this absurd agenda being aggressively pushed around. Black Lives aggressively, I'm sorry, those examples abound, rather. Black Lives Matter, the standard bearer for woke, fact-free, emotion-fueled idiocy in 2020, and which has garnered establishment support and millions in corporate donations, has not only declared that they want to abolish police, but also abolish the family. Flagship left-wing publications like The Nation, Vice, and Jacobin have all in recent months and years dedicated time and energy to the malignant anti-family cause. In addition, Sophie Lewis, a self-described feminist thinker, which she proves is an oxymoron, has made a name for herself attacking the nuclear family in her book, Full Surrogacy Now, Feminism Against the Family. Lewis, whom he calls an Oxford-educated BS artist, uses pretentious language and provocative statements to camouflage her laughably pubescent arguments. An example of Lewis's utopianist jackasseries found in her article, The Coronavirus Shows It's Time to Abolish the Family, where her... Logical approach to combat the virus is revealed as free all prisoners and detainees now and dismiss all the workers with full pay so they can pursue laziness for at least the next decade. Now Lewis likes tilting at windmills as evidenced by her desire to denaturalize the mother-child bond and to promote the idea that babies belong to anyone. The idea that the product of gestational labor gets transferred as property to a set of people. Lewis further reveals her intellectual obtuseness and foolish anti-family fanaticism by declaring even when the private nuclear household poses no direct physical or mental threat to one's person, no spouse battering, no child rape, no queer bashing, the private family qua mode of social reproduction still, frankly, sucks. It genders, nationalizes, and races us. It makes us believe we are individuals. I'm sorry, but there it is. Well, well, she finally came around. Individuals perish the thought. Now, McCaffrey says, of course, according to the anti-family left, the answer to that parent problem is that like Hillary Clinton long ago taught us, it takes a village to raise a child. And while it may very well take a village to satiate Hillary's husband's gargantuan sexual appetite, history shows us that communes and communal parenting are never a healthy option for children or society. For instance, a bevy of high-profile Hollywood stars have grown up in communes and cults where the nuclear family was replaced with a communal approach, and it was more ordeal than ideal. The famed Arquette family, which includes, includes Roseanne, Patricia, and David, grew up in a commune, as did Winona Ryder. None of them speak highly of the experience, which included a lack of electricity and running water and rampant drug use. Rose McGowan, as well as Joaquin and River Phoenix, grew up in the communal Free Love Children of God sect that was rife with child sexual abuse. McGowan said of the experience, there's a trail of some very damaged children that were in this group saying, I got out by the skin of my teeth. McCaffrey says studies show that step-parents are non-biological guardians of... Children are astronomically more likely to harm children than biological parents. Yes, he says, there are certainly awful parents in the world who abuse and neglect their own biological children. But Berlatsky bemoaning parental power dynamics and Lewis lamenting gestational labor are, ironically, the intellectual equivalent of a toddler's tantrum. Wanting to eliminate the nuclear family. Because some people have had traumatic experiences infinitely asinine and embarrassingly infantile. It's akin to demanding that the sun stop rising in the east because you got sunburn. As any parent will tell you, raising a child is a Sisyphean tac, task rather requiring a Herculean effort. But it's worth it as study after study shows. Growing up in a nuclear family is contrary to the anti-family left, not an albatross but an advantage in terms of mental, emotional, physical, and social health, as well as education, achievement, and income level. What all children need are parents who love, comfort, protect, and guide them. And what these delusional anti-family advocates need is a reality check and a swift kick in the butt, Which but he says, I'd be happy to deliver
0: both. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show.
1: Are you ready for some good news? I feel like I've had uh, maybe a bit more bad than good so far. So let's balance this thing out here. Let's bring balance to the force, Luke, and, uh, and talk about something good that happened. I can always count on my friend Carrie McDonald from the Foundation for Economic Education to to have something thoughtful and inspiring to share and sure enough her article Parents Win Battle to Reopen California Playgrounds This really is a bright spot in a new in a in a year that's had otherwise you know more than its fair share of bad news The subtitle here Governor Gavin Newsom's order prompted backlash from parents medical professionals and state legislators who insisted that outdoor play for children is not only safe, but essential for children's health. I'm thinking back to early on when when a lot of these lockdowns started. Do you remember the drama, the crime scene tape, you know, that was blocking off children's playgrounds? We had Sarah Walton Brady on uh, on the program. She was the mom from, uh, I believe, Meridian, Idaho, arrested because her kids were playing on a playground. And it wasn't, she didn't get arrested because your kids are playing, therefore we're taking you to jail. She got arrested because the cops were, were trying to intimidate her and tell her to leave, and she stood her ground and actually told them, well, if, then, then arrest me if, if this is what you're going to do. Well, they did. Now she's facing trial, and it's uh, kind of an interesting pain in the, in the rear to have to go to, to court for something so petty. But here we are. And 2020 rolls on. In this case, though, here's the good news. Kerry McDonald reports on December 3rd, California Governor Gavin Newsom announced a new stay-at-home order mandating, among other restrictions, that outdoor playgrounds be closed. This prompted an immediate backlash from parents, medical professionals, and some state legislators who insisted that outdoor play for children is not only safe, but essential for children's health and well-being. while the parent pushback worked with Governor Newsom backpedaling last week and reopening playgrounds. And Kerry says, this is an important example of the vital role parents play in opposing government lockdown orders and related restrictions that defy science and can cause more harm than good, especially for children. Now, look, it's no secret. Parents are getting frustrated. Kerry says, while many parents appreciate the need to be vigilant As some areas experience a surge in coronavirus cases this month, they seem to be growing weary of new government orders and limitations that they see as arbitrary and unscientific, such as keeping malls open while closing playgrounds. She says the hypocrisy of elected officials is also grating. As new restrictions take effect... Those who have followed the rules say they're having an increasingly hard time taking orders from politicians who don't always seem to heed their own advice. That's according to the Los Angeles Times, the, T- the Los Angeles Times rather. They reported this following Newsom's playground closures. Angry parents pointed to Governor Gavin Newsom's attendance at a birthday dinner at the French Laundry in Napa Valley even as he was warning against Thanksgiving dinner gatherings. L.A. County Supervisor Sheila Kuehl dining out in Santa Monica hours after voting last week to uphold a ban on outdoor dining. And state lawmakers flying to Hawaii last month to schmooze with interest groups while health officials were discouraging travel. Now, Kerry says despite its strict lockdown orders, which are currently among the most severe in the country, coronavirus is spreading rapidly in California. As Fee's John Miltimore explained, lockdowns have been shown in several studies to be ineffective at reducing the spread of the coronavirus. Instead of lockdowns, the clear age-related mortality risk of COVID-19 makes it most conducive to a focused protective pandemic response. That protects elderly and vulnerable populations while avoiding the harms that lockdowns are causing the young, including the rising mental health crisis among children and young adults. I don't know why that idea is so hard to get across, but I think the fear is what keeps most people from considering this. Kerry McDonald goes on to say Dr. J. Bhattacharya of Stanford University and Sunetra Gupta of Oxford are two of the co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration that prioritizes focused protection and warns against lockdowns. They wrote in Friday's Wall Street Journal, quote, at least 99.95% of people under 70 survive infection. That figure is only 95% for 70 and older. COVID-19 is thus especially deadly for the old and others with chronic conditions. But the lockdowns are deadly as well. The harms include plummeting childhood vaccination, worse cardiovascular disease outcomes, and less cancer screening, to name a few. It's impossible to quantify the total deaths they have caused and will cause. But it's safe to conclude that for people under 70 without chronic conditions especially children and young adults, COVID-19 is far less deadly than a lockdown, end quote. Well, thankfully, there has been resistance, and I believe this is principled resistance. And Carrie talks about how that resistance has grown. She says, with recent warnings from public health officials such as Anthony Fauci suggesting that pandemic-related restrictions could last into next fall, more Americans are resisting. Some business owners are openly defying lockdown orders or operating underground, determined to keep their enterprises afloat so that they can pay their bills and serve their customers. Civil disobedience continues to spread as citizens rise up against mounting government coercion and control. Parents are increasingly part of this resistance. They see how lockdowns and related policies are negatively affecting their children, who are at very low risk from COVID-19, but high risk from the collateral damage that lockdowns cause. Some of them have had enough of the government overreach. Yoko Goodman is a California mother who says she was appalled when the state closed playgrounds and is angry about the lockdowns and restrictions. She says, we were upset when the playgrounds were closed in open air. Those yellow tapes, keep off, were symbols of control. She told Carrie in a recent interview, it's common sense that kids need fresh air to move muscles, mingle with other children. I was appalled to see them limit children's movement. The whole thing is ridiculous. After all, this is the America I fell in love with and left Japan. I don't want to see America like this. I've never felt policies directly affecting our lives. Another California mother, Bertine Schaefer, has been opposed to the state's lockdown policies and restrictions from the beginning of the pandemic and is encouraged that the recent playground closures prompted more parents to speak up and take action against these government orders. Bertine Schaefer said, over the past year, Californians have learned that the people who rule over us will not be stopped by the laws of science or economics, and certainly not by any concern for our most basic rights and freedom. She said, the only way we will get our lives back is by pushing back against this obscene power grab. So congratulations to everyone who did that here, and we need to keep it up." Kerry concludes by saying as government restrictions tighten in many locations and more mandates loom in 2021, public dissent and defiance may become increasingly important. The parents who successfully pushed back against playground closures prove that individual actions can lead to meaningful change. I wish it were easier, I mean, I wish it, there were a way to do it where you could be free of, you know, criticism and, and, a fr- and, and free of, of, you know, people you know, targeting you, doxing you. I mean, that seems to be kind of the, the thing now. Let's make this person famous. They were shopping without wearing a mask or they were letting their kids play on the playground. And, of course, everybody's got a camera with them, so they'll take video and go post it. And anyway, it's, it's petty. And I honestly don't know. Is is it just a product of the fear, or is there some deeper underlying mental aberration that's at work here? People don't feel in control of their own lives, and so they want to reach out and control others. I I seriously don't know. I mean, I'm I'm asking honestly. Is that is what could it be? I remember a time when I willingly lined up behind policies that dictated through government control, this is what, sh- what people should or should not do. And aside from acts where you can provably show that someone has been harmed and someone is held accountable for that harm and made to uh, engage in restitution, I've had to turn my back on that. I've had to, I've had to relinquish the little inner tyrant that wants to control other people. And here's the kicker, that's when I started to actually find peace and happiness in my own life. I don't know how to describe it other than when you you lose the need to control other people or to dominate other people, it's a lot easier to be at peace with your own life. But the people I see out there who are most frustrated with others, the ones who just, oh, you're not wearing your mask correctly. Oh, you didn't wear a mask when you went out in public. They are the unhappiest people that I've ever seen. And I have to believe that the the two issues are related somehow. I mean, I'll leave it to better minds than my own people who actually understand psychology and, you know, the, the human psyche, to, to put that into perspective. But, you know, from from the woke, you know, insisting that everybody has to feel and think this way and speak this way to the people who are very uh, keyed up over, you know, the, the COVID restrictions and, and angered when they see people apparently not in complete, absolute compliance. Y'all need to take a nap, eat a bran muffin. I don't know, maybe smoke a doobie, Something.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Once again, welcome back to the show.
1: This is a place where wrong thinkers can gather. Not so much to create a wrong think echo chamber, but just just to know that somebody isn't going to be judging you because, well, you know, you hold a different point of view, so I'm going to have to qualify my friendship with you until such time as you come around to seeing things my way. There is no requirement. There is no such expectation that you have to think this way or be that way in order to be my friend or in order to be considered valuable or to have a valuable point of view and be able to offer understanding of the world. I found my notes, by the way, um, from the... uh, Better Angels seminar I attended almost 2 years ago and uh, just was going through those the other day gosh that was a great seminar that was it was an all day thing but the the beauty of that seminar was it brought together a dozen people six people who identified as pretty hardcore conservative six people who identified as pretty hardcore progressives and put them in the same room and had them have real conversations with each other with the cardinal rule no one is allowed to try to change one another's minds. I know it sounds like an impossible thing, but it was really powerful. So I think they've changed the name now. I, I think it's, it's no longer Better Angels. I'll have to look. I, I just got an email from them a couple of weeks ago, but I think they, they may have changed the name. But anyway, there's a better approach. And that better approach is, look, somebody disagrees with you, so what? It doesn't mean they're stupid. It doesn't mean they're evil. They're evil. The only place where I really draw a hard line and where you'll find me getting my back up and 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 starting to get a little bit sporty is when you start to advocate the use of force or coercion against me. You're going to have a fight on your hands. And it's not because uh, I was looking for one. It's because you forced one on me. What's the saying? Won't be nothing if you don't start something, Right. <laughs> So just back off. You've been warned fairly. Back off. Stop trying to force people. Unfortunately, there are those for whom this is absolutely a way of life and a mindset, and they'll go to such incredible lengths to make this happen. Look, the the really crude, primitive ones are the ones out there bare-knuckle brawling in the streets. And by the way, that includes people on the right as well. Yes, proud boys, I'm looking your direction. You're not helping things. You're as enemy driven as your black-clad counterparts. You all need to get over it. But there's some more devious ways of controlling people. Um, I thought this was interesting. found this on big league economic or sorry big politics.com. The IMF is proposing punishing dissidents by lowering their credit score if they go to bad websites. Now interestingly enough, when when, when I say bad websites, I'm not talking about, oh, they're uh, they're looking at, uh, you know, lurid online content. No, we're talking about uh, websites that someone arbitrarily deems to be harmful. I would guess most of the website, the news aggregators that I visit on a day-to-day basis would be considered bad websites. Meaning my credit score would be, well, worse than it is right now. Actually, I don't even know what my credit score is, but... This new white paper from the Globalist International Monetary Fund is calling for dissidents to have their credit score lowered if they go to websites that are arbitrarily deemed to be harmful. This is a plan outlined in a blog written by Arnaud Boot, Peter Hoffman, Luc Laverne, and Lev Ratnovsky. Ratnovsky. There we go. They're pitching the Orwellian notion as a breakthrough in financial technology, or fintech, as it's called for shorthand they wrote recent research documents that once powered by artificial intelligence and machine learning let me try that again recent research documents that once powered by artificial intelligence and machine learning these alternative data sources are often superior than traditional credit assessment methods they're claiming that the type of browser and hardware used to access the internet the history of online searches and purchases would determine a person's credit score under their dystopian vision Quote, overall, while much of the technological progress in finance is evolutionary, its pace is accelerating fast. FinTech's potential to reach out to over a billion unbanked people around the world and the changes in the financial system structure that this can induce can be revolutionary. They say governments should follow and carefully support the technological transition in finance. It's important to adjust policies accordingly and stay ahead of the curve, end quote. Now, Gizmodo commented on the proposal and its mortifying consequences as if it were actually implemented on a grand scale. This is what Gizmodo said. The researchers acknowledge that there will be privacy and policy concerns related to incorporating this kind of soft data into credit analysis. And they do little to explain how this might work in practice. The paper isn't long. It's worth a read just to wrap your mind around some of the notions of fintech's future and why everyone seems to want in on the payments game. As it is, they say getting the really fine soft data points would probably require companies like Facebook and Apple to loosen up their standards on linking unencrypted information on individual accounts. How they might share information with other institutions would be its own can of worms. End quote. Now, Big league's big League Politics has reported on how the IMF has pushed policies to cripple and destroy America, including the Me Too, hashtag Me Too witch hunts, that eviscerated due process and liberated women from responsibility. They've got some interesting examples here. These internationalists are working hard to implement Big Brother after crushing the masses with COVID hysteria, anti-white pogroms, and a vote steal. Now, this is not an unbiased article, obviously. But I'm going to ask you to set aside, you know, whatever knee-jerk reaction you have. Well, they said vote steal. They must be living in an alternate reality. You can disagree with them on that and still wonder, is it a good idea to lower people's credit scores if they go to websites that someone, somewhere, arbitrarily deems unapproved or bad? To me, it just seems like another backdoor way to attain control, and for power seekers and opportunists, that's the name of the game. It's all about consolidating power. It's all about consolidating control. It's it's hard to have this conversation, though, and Lord Lord knows I've tried, but uh, but so many people, especially online, especially on social media, just want to argue. They they don't they don't care about hey, can we suss this out and really try to determine is this a good idea or not. It's just about, no, I must crush you <laughs> from Rocky Four, You know, if, if you die, you die. They, they, they just want to win. Personally, I think it's a really bad idea. I think there's a reason why the founding generation, whatever places they may not have been as woke as thou, they still had some terrific historical insights into human nature. And, and no matter how enlightened the woke among us claim to be, Human nature has not changed. Their particular slanted view of it may be what's fashionable for a moment, but I'm just going to remind you what goes up quickly comes down quickly as well. It ain't always going to be this way. You base your understanding on human nature and you will have a much easier time in understanding why people do what they do, what the things are that we struggle with, and and what we need to guard against regardless of Circumstance, regardless of time, because human nature stays pretty much the same. There's a reason the founding generation enacted what they called auxiliary precautions in the type of governance that they set up. It's a fancy way of saying checks and balances. They limited power, they distributed it, they broke it up so that it wouldn't be consolidated in too few hands. And for the better part of two centuries, it worked beautifully. It kept mischief out of the hands of just a small, consolidated group of people. Now, we've seen that turned on its head gradually. Sometimes there were some big turnings on its head. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, I'm looking your direction. What happened between 1861 and 1865? Yeah, that, that did a lot of damage to everybody. But the bottom line is this. People who would claim that we are moving in the direction that uh, we're supposed to be moving must have an agenda of some sort. I mean, and I've heard some really, really bright young minds talk about, well, you know, this is, you know, we can't have the same kind of rules that they had 200 years ago. It's a totally different society. And I think, guys, you weren't paying very close attention <laughs> when, you, when you were studying the classics of Western civilization. Otherwise, you'd recognize human nature is the same. We're struggling with the same problems and the same temptations that people have always struggled with. But collectivism is definitely gaining and has been for a long time. This is the danger of consolidation. The rights of the individual are supposed to be protected. This isn't just a great political idea. It's the very essence of liberty. In fact, it's such an important thing that if I could be so bold, God himself will not break that rule. He will not force an individual to do something that they do not want to do. But for some reason, there's always a strain of people who think, uh, no, no, we know better. If we could just force everybody to do the right thing, it's all going to be great. In fact... Not one shall be lost. Or so they say. Seems like I've heard that before. Where was it that I heard that?
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.